Good morning. Hi guys. I hope you guys are all safe and well. Today we got a special guest in the house, Andy D. Carter with Andy D. Carter Firm. He's the top residential and multifamily broker and investor, does very well. And you guys always ask me about residential. I don't do residential, but my buddy <laughs> does almost 80% of the deals. <laughs> yeah, he no, can tell you more about it. But we love yeah. that market. Yeah, so we're gonna get going. I know you guys sent some questions and I wanna have Logan here read them off. Some are for me, but mostly for Andy. <laughs> and let's head it off. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, so we have Gregory hopping in, George is hopping in. And we have a little bit of a different setup today. So if we can just uh, drop a one or a thumbs up in the chat, if mic and audio is coming through well, um, and we'll go ahead and get it kicked off. All right, good morning, Vlad. So first question that we have today is from Lucas. Uh, I believe this is directed to you, Andy. He said, um, are you still working with the Smith Group? If not, how come? Yes, so I loved Tim Smith. Dear, dear friend of mine, amazing buddy incredible real estate professional. So we actually partnered together. There was a brief stint where I actually moved my license over to um, Coldwell Banker. Great company, really incredible management over there. Wasn't quite a fit for me, mm -hmm. but I continued my actual partnership with Tim. So he has his team and I have mine and we've kind of smashed them together and we're doing a lot of builds. We're helping up a like a whole lot of families and we're specializing in the luxury market in coastal California. Awesome. Good. Seems to be a good synergy. Oh yeah. He's a super great guy. I love him. Awesome. Awesome. So we have a next question from WatchTech. He said, would you guys recommend avoiding tenant friendly states like Illinois when investing in multifamily? And to give some more context, he said, I live in Chicago, but I've hesitated to buy more multifamily due to the very tenant friendly laws. Sure. So here's the thing with me. I love Southern California. It's a very tenant friendly state, as you know, Manny. Yep. Uh, it can be very difficult to get people out. It gets even more and more difficult. You have to know the laws frontwards and backwards. I'm what's called the tenant whisperer. I get in there. I listen mm -hmm. to the tenants need, like, you know, needs, their fears, and we figure it out for them. But we also invest in like Cleveland, Ohio. That's a landlord friendly state. Yeah. It costs 300 bucks in 13 days to have a sheriff lockout. Wow. So we invest in both because we like both. So mm -hmm. it just solely depends on your particular model. Here's the worst advice. Like don't do anything and just wait, right? And so you want to get in and it's always wise to invest first, in my opinion, where you live, learn it. It doesn't matter if it's a landlord friendly or tenant friendly, learn your market. 100%. It's all about preventing those tenant issues yeah. you know, before it gets to that point. But yeah, I mean, I like California as much as it's, uh, you know, difficult dealing with tenant issues, but the price appreciation always it's hard to be justifies it. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Uh, next question is from Jeremy. He said, if you have $100,000 to spend on the income property, say in the Midwest, would you buy one or two with cash and use your cash flow to finance your next purchase? Or would you leverage several properties, putting 20% down in each? You want to hit that one up? Sure. So it depends on your goals. It depends on your target, depends on your age a little bit. Mm -hmm. For me, this is an individualized sport. 
So I really like to talk to my clients and investors on what their goals are and how they can get there. For me, there's the lowest interest rates in our country's history. I like to use the bank's capital. I like to use the bank's money as leverage, but I also don't make stupid buys because I can. I like putting down 40 to 50%, Mm -hmm. so I'm always in an incredible position. In the history of this country, it's never dropped 50% in two or three months. So I'm hedged against that. I like the 25 to 30% down. It's very safe as long as you know what you're doing. But I like the 50% down and I would walk before you run. Start with one, Mm -hmm. feel what it feels like to be a landlord, know your numbers cold, and then do another one. Hold on to some of that. Like it's important to have dry gunpowder and don't spend all your cash just because you can. I agree 100%. For me, I love leverage. <laughs> a lot of times I do buy the building cash because I have to, to get the deal. Mm. But I immediately take out a bridge loan or do a cash out refi because uh, rates are so low. 100%. But again, if you're uh, trying to leverage and max out all your liquidity to buy four homes and stuff two that are great deals, you're pretty much speculating unless they're all foreclosures selling 30, 40% below market. So it all is, you know, price drives deals. So to me, you know, the biggest part of that question is what type of deals are those four homes? 100%. It's yeah. deal specific yeah. every time. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, our next question is from Matthew. Uh, it's good to see you. He said, I'm currently running a retail business out of a location I've been leasing for 16 years. The owner of the building is 92 and not in the best health and wants to sell, but his children are against it due to capital gains. He doesn't want to do 1031 exchange. Does anyone know of any other ways to purchase a building in this type of situation without having sellers not have tremendous capital gains? Mm. Well, mergers and acquisition. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So if they kind of structure, the building could be owned by a business of the seller and he can merge his business with a seller. That's what corporate Wall Street does every day mm-hmm. <laughs> to avoid it. There are other way you can do it. They can do an installment sale. Um, it's recommended to you know prep it one to two years prior to a transaction. Installment sale is a very common uh, you know uh, procedure that people use to defer gains. Basically, you spread it over thirty years, and there are companies that pay you hundred percent upfront, and they'll do the thirty-year installment. There is cost to it but obviously costs are much less than your capital gain taxes. Uh, those are the two top two, but you know, merger and acquisition type of you know, transaction obviously makes a whole lot of sense. If the seller's completely getting out, you can kind of merge with their you know, entity that owns the building. 100%, it's yeah. super important to sit down with the family over and over again, show them that you care about the building, you care about them. It's way easier to deal with someone like that and just to be like completely corporate. Um, And maybe there's a way to do like some kind of seller financing. So there's a way to kind of structure the deal where everybody's gonna win and the family's gonna win and you're still gonna win. You just have to get really creative, but whatever you do, don't give up. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) But definitely consult some CPAs and professionals when it comes to tax planning. Yes. to kind of prep, you know, what the seller's position going to be. Because obviously that, you know, that seems to be the issue for them, you know, paying the capital gains. Their cost basis is probably super low if it's 90. It's probably very low. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we have a couple questions from Sue. 
he said, Andy, what are the trends in your prediction for transaction volume for residential properties in San Diego and just overall Southern California in 2022? Great question. San Diego is on fire. It's one of the strongest sections right now. Um, I think they're up like 21% in like a 12 month cycle, which is insane. Um, the Fed just announced they're going to keep the rates low. There's going to be a little bit of an increase, I think, in Q1 of 2022. Mm -hmm. There's still an incredible market. It's cooled off a little bit in July, a little bit in August, but we still have compressed inventory. We still have yep. tons of buyers at low rates. At low, low rates. So this is the lowest rates in our country's history. And we yep. deal with buyers every day. And I'm like, listen, it technically doesn't matter if you're going to slightly overpay for this property, as long as you can afford it today, even if it dips on paper, you have that rate locked for 30 years. Mm -hmm. People don't really understand how much that property is going to be cheap worth. Money. It's so <laughs> cheap. And yeah. here's a conversation I've never had with anybody. And I share this story all the time. Mm. I'm so glad I sold that property in San Diego 20 years ago. It's the opposite. Everybody's mm. like, oh, I wish I'd have just yep. kept that property because now it's worth X. So what you do is you get in and you wait. Hold. Everybody yeah. gets in hold. a big hurry. Yeah. You hold. That's yeah. what Manny does. That's what I yeah. do. It's the buy and hold game always works. Yep. Yeah. I bought this building 10 years ago, 2011 for 3.1. It's worth a little more than that now. Yeah. Well, it's on the market for 12 and a half. But now I'm selling it after 10 years because my whole period uh you know it's really i'm, I'm ready for upgrade yeah so. <laughs> he's already depreciated to where it needs it to be yeah my and cost basis is so low there's not much more depreciation but yeah off to the next <laughs> so Eddie, it's a loaded question but when do you flip and when do you hold great question so so if i could go back in time to 2009 10 11 12 13 and we were flipping hundreds of properties here's what we should have done we should have flipped four and held one Mm. So for every five properties that we flipped, we should have held one. That would have created a gigantic portfolio, portfolio that we could have then leveraged later on to buy more commercial, to buy more multifamily. And we can just put these tenants in there because our cost basis yeah. was so inexpensive to acquire. We wouldn't have to fix it up as much. And then we could basically put a tenant in there. Yeah. Um, it is deal specific, like with everything in real estate. Mm -hmm. um, Here's the thing with flipping. I don't do it nearly as much as I used to because no one talks about the short-term cap gains you pay. Everybody's like, oh, I just crushed it and made six figures on this yeah. flip. You really made 43, you yeah. know, but you did. Ordinary income. Yeah. yeah, and then it gets taxed at the highest rate. So, yeah. um, and here's the other problem is we're at the top of a cycle. Yeah. You could get stuck with your pants down if you just have the, like the flip wrong by a little bit. Oh, yeah. You're holding the bag. All right. And uh, you already answered this question, but I want to see if you have any more context. He said, do you think the closings will slow down next year? I own foundation escrow and we really focus on transaction volume. Curious to get your thoughts on this. Sure. Super good question. So uh, it's still going to be a crazy year. I mean, and you have to look at the data within your area. Mm -hmm. We look at the seven day cycle like crazy people. I want to know how many escrows are closing where we're at, showings and pendings and actives and withhold. You'll get so much data just from the front page of the multiple listing service, yeah. but talk to your clients. Why are they slowing down? What are they not doing? Branding mm -hmm. and marketing. How can they be a 
more of service. I love title and escrow, but a lot of them get really comfortable because mm -hmm. the deals come to them. Be proactive. So you don't care if the deals go down or up, you're still going to be very productive and still very profitable. It's going to be crazy again next year because we have, I mean, there's 70 yeah. million millennials that are saving money longer. They're living at home longer. They're skipping like the first time home and they're going mm -hmm. to like the million dollar property. And there's so, no inventory. And there's no inventory. Yeah. And then you have all these people that are baby boomers that have these giant houses for years that are downsizing and they're all competing for the same price point. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to continue to drive. I see nothing to basically push the market down. We had a global pandemic and the market actually went way up. Mm -hmm. It's because yeah. of those low rates. Yeah, low rates, low inventory. I, I agree. I think with corrections 18 months to 24 months out. And once the rates, you know, creep up, the Fed puts the brakes on, that's when you're going to see the correct reaction. And there's not going to be a cliff like 2008 just because there's so many laws in place to prevent those now. And liquidity is unbelievable. It's off the market. charts. Yeah. Here's a crazy number. 60%, uh, 60% of homes in the whole country are free and clear. Wow. People are sitting on a tremendous crazy. amount of just cash and equity mm -hmm. within their assets. Incredible. Um, so our next question is from Peter. Uh, appreciate you dropping this in the comments. It's a little bit of a longer one, so we might have to go in multiple parts. Um, but said, good morning to Manny and Andy. Hope all is well. For this week's question, I'd like Manny or Andy, so both, to expand on the idea of lender's vacancy factor. Is the vacancy factor based on the occupancy of the surrounding market? For example, if you're buying a stabilized office building that is 90% occupied, but surrounding market office occupancy is at 70%, would the lender base the stabilized office building at the market level of 70% since you're drastically outperforming the market? Or would the lender base the loan on the cash flow and the ability to cover the debt service for the subject property? Okay, I'll take that one. <laughs> well, definitely the lender will consider the sub-market performance, but also what those tenants' uh, lease expirations are. If the tenants, let's just say you got Wells Fargo, and they don't expire for 10 years and it's a single tenant building and you're 100 occupied well lender is not going to give you a haircut down to 75 percent occupancy because it's wells fargo and they're locked in for five years so it all really is a, a case by case basis depending on who's on your rent roster and how much those leases uh roll in the next like three to five years that's what they look at your rollover so it's very difficult you know, to answer, but you do get an adjustment from appraiser. If your building's 100% or 93%, the stock market is 75 for that, you know, same product. Yeah, yeah, and it's super important to stay proactive with all of those leases. So if you know it's going to be up in two or three yeah. years, like four years, try to get them to sign an extension early, see if you can do some upgrades, see if you can lock them in, especially if you're shopping stuff around with lenders right now. Absolutely. Awesome. And then he followed it up and said, on a high level, what do both of you think about the higher 10-year yield to 1.5 to 2% this week? What are your guys' outlook for the general real estate market, both residential and commercial, at the moment and near future? Wait a minute. The 10-year treasury has one and a half to two points? I don't think it went up that much. <laughs> That's a lot. I don't think it was 1.3 to 1.4. Yeah. 
but uh, his question is, what do you think about it? Yeah, what are your thoughts on it? And then what are your general, uh, what's your general outlook on the real estate market for both residential and commercial now and in the near future? Well, when it comes to residential, obviously it's going to be hot. Andy touched on that low inventory, low rates, a lot of demand. Uh, I think that pent up demand is going to continue for 18 months at least. Uh, again, it's a function of uh, cost of money. If the Fed, you know, pump uh, rate raises the rates, surprises everybody next year because of hyperinflation or some other thing comes out of the side field, then it, the, all bets are off. Uh, on the commercial side, it depends on the asset class. Uh, office buildings, especially the vertical ones, anything more four stories getting crushed. Uh, just in Orange County, is four million a square feet of office uh, uh, space that's for sublease and vacant. Uh, it's the highest ever. Uh, we had 1.6 million a square feet in 2008 to 2010, so it's like more than double. Huge. Yeah. So all that will translate into distressed office buildings 18 months, 24 months, 36 months from now. Uh, but if you look at the industrial, vacancy rate is 2% in Orange County, flexes space and industrial. So it's really all case by case, by case on an asset um, class. Uh, in general, I think the value add deals will be office, hospitality, some big box retailers. Uh, and those are ones, you know, I like to take a look at, see how I can repurpose them because your cost, cost base is going to be very low on the dirt and on the building because of distress. Um, that's where my focus would be, you know, to invest. A hundred percent. There's tons of opportunities coming in that space yeah. and it's going to continue to grow, I think. And there's going to be a lot of buildings that are going to get completely repurposed and rezoned maybe in some mm -hmm. like areas where there's tremendous opportunity yep. as you know. 100%. Like the bird building. I'm trying mm -hmm. to see if I can get it, you know. We're going to figure that out today. Game title for units. <laughs> no, you should. Yeah. Sure. All right. Next question is from Reza. He said, do you guys think it is a good idea to invest your money with a bank and get credit line at half rate of the return for a real estate down payment? This way I can probably get more of my cash. Mm, I don't quite understand this, but if, if he means put up money and pledge it to get a line of credit or just a started relationship to get a line of credit. In other words, is it secured or unsecured? Is it pledged or not? Right. But um, all in all, uh, if it's not pledged, uh, 100%. I mean, I've done that with several banks. Mm -hmm. I have multiple unsecured line of credits, which I tap into when I buy property. But uh, yeah, banks are based on relationship. And if you got to put some your liquidity with a specific bank that would uh, be open to give me a line of credit versus one that doesn't absolutely it's super important to have great relationships with banks small yeah. banks local banks all that stuff Makes banks sense. are your partners they're your yeah. buddies yeah. if you can do it the right way i mean i yes it's very important to make sure yes that you stay on really good terms with them and meet them like you know face to face and build those relationships because mm -hmm. you can get a lot done absolutely all right so next question um andy so when it comes to investing what are your top focuses right now and do you feel that you have any type of unique strategy that's kind of setting you apart when it comes to investing in residential uh super good question we love the two three and four market 
I just like it. It's easy to get financing. It's easy to sell later. Super easy mm -hmm. to exchange those properties into larger properties. Very easy to sell to like a first time home buyer, first time yep. investor. It's like very easy to become very liquid fast or highly leveraged if you need it. Mm -hmm. I like that feeling. And here's another reason why I love the two, three and four market. Rents are going up. Real estate market dips, rents actually go up again. So we're going to continue that as long as people want to live inside. Like you don't have to have your office in a big, nice, fancy building. You don't have to go to nice restaurants. You don't have to have fancy clothes, but you have to live inside. Yep. So we, and here's the thing with certain cities, especially here in California, we love to buy like a duplex, right? Mm -hmm. On a nice piece of land. And then we'll add like an ADU and then we'll add a junior ADU right off the garage because the city that we focus on, Seal Beach and Long Beach, are letting you do it. that like crazy. So it's a duplex, but it looks and feels like a fourplex. Mm -hmm. It has the cash flow of a fourplex. It has the tax basis of a duplex. I like the way that feels and it's really easy to change those things. Or you take a house and you stick a unit in the back, you live in the unit, you rent out the house. Now you're living for free. It's covering the mortgage. I like that model. It's simple. It's easy. I'm not that bright. And I like the math around it. I like that. So on a two, three, four, since it's very uh, obviously popular and everybody's trying to buy those. I mean, do you find any that are value add in this market? tons of them and that's why we send out letters to all uh -huh. these investors from all over the country that have properties here mm -hmm. some of them are just tired of being landlords it's mm -hmm. been fully depreciated they've got low rents they're just kind of sick of it yeah. statewide rent control so mm -hmm. we send them letters we tie up the asset we close it and we either sell it to somebody who we know or we keep it in this portfolio, portfolio. and then we just slap an ADU on for 150 grand that's going to generate mm -hmm. an extra two grand a month and then we can refi the asset really quickly yeah. and it's fully stabilized and so my cash on cash investment is usually zero within 24 months i like the way that feels mm -hmm. i can do that all day awesome all right next question is from chris he said how are you protecting in the current residential market what would your advice be for someone that does fix and flips that's all you and the other hold the them. I, I would literally yeah. go back to the model, like for sure, hold one in 10, but definitely hold one in five. Mm -hmm. And if you can, I would hold like every other. And, and then you create a portfolio and then you roll all those houses into a giant apartment building mm -hmm. and you, you know, retire. Yes. Yeah. Well, assuming you're not borrowing hard money at 12%. Yeah. You cannot do this thing with hard money. Yeah. You can for your first few deals, but then yeah. you got to get really smart. You have to have partners who can sell these things for you as well at maximum, but mm -hmm. it's a business and there's no like real way to be fully protected. You just have to buy well, like yeah. you make all of your money in the Under acquisition, yeah. as you know, yeah. and don't be stupid. Like, yeah. do not do these giant bills if mm -hmm. like the market isn't, you have to know your local market like a crazy person. Yeah, don't overextend. Yes. Especially with a hard money. Yeah. Hard money that's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Another good question from Gregory. He said, I live in Austin, Texas, and the real estate market is very hot here. Most buyers offer all cash deals. What do you recommend for a new investor who can't compete with all cash offers? I prefer to invest in commercial multifamily 
but also may consider residential. Hmm. Well, do your homework. Find a deal, build your networks with other investors, go in there and basically partner up, bring, you know, source the deal. If you do your homework, you pull up the comps, you negotiate a great deal, tie up the property. If it's got 5,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks, I don't know what kind of size of a deal he's talking about. But if the market's hot and he does his homework and find, source a deal, uh, pre present to an investor and say, here are the comps. There's this much meat on the bone. You know, either take a big fee or do a profit sharing of sort, uh, or just sell it and take it, uh, rip it. It's exactly it. how I started. Yeah. It's the smartest play is you do it slow and safe with low risk. Mm -hmm. You make all these investors really happy because you're doing all the legwork, yeah. all the heavy lifting. You start to take smaller percentages and then you just basically become like a 50, 50 partner with them. Mm -hmm. Here's the, like, here's the good news. There's so many cities between San Antonio and exactly where he's at in Austin that are exploding with growth. They are. Like, and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. There's crazy tech that's going in there. Because Austin's so expensive. It's, so people are going farther and farther out. It's, and the same thing happened in Nashville yeah. and Boise. You don't, like, you don't have to be right in, in Austin. You like Epicenter. In my opinion, it's smarter to be just outside because the market's going to catch, catch up, up to that. Yeah. And then you're going to light fire with everything else. Yeah. I love San Antonio right now. It's dramatically undervalued, especially for multifamily. I agree. All right. Next question from Peter. What are your opinions about Governor Newsom passing laws for rezoning of single family home to duplex or fourplex? Would you see higher housing prices in California because each home uh, could produce uh, more income and take on a higher debt surge? Yeah. Somebody else asked me that, that there won't be any more single family residents allowed. Like, that's impossible. not even close to true. Yeah. So here's the thing with Newsom, and we're not going to get political on this thing, but yeah. here's here's like this whole thing in a nutshell. Since this thing hit last week, mm -hmm. I've gotten probably a hundred phone calls from builders and investors. Here's what I'm looking for. I'm going to do this and I'm going to split yeah. the lot. And I've told them all the same thing. You have to go slow. Here's the problem is this became like a statewide thing. The city still has all the control. So they put the cart before mm -hmm. the horse. He passed this big thing, but here's what they also did. Mm -hmm. All of coastal California, you cannot take two lots and combine them anymore because of the housing shortage. So two years later, he passes this thing where, oh yeah, it's cool, but it's up yeah. to like the city level. So there's no way these cities like will turn all these single family neighborhoods into two, three, and four units. And they have a high density, yeah. It's impossible. They're already parking impacted cities. They're already getting tons of grief from all of these neighbors. These city council meetings are gonna explode with pushback. Mm -hmm. It sounds good on paper. Yeah, practicality, probably not so. But it's probably not going to work. There's going to be a few deals where it's gonna be great and it's gonna be awesome, but they went way too fast in my opinion because the cities can kill this. They can say, yeah. nope, we don't approve. And it gets shut down. You just bought a property that you overpaid for because you thought you were gonna be able to split it. Mm -hmm. And now you're stuck with a horrible asset. Yeah, so, because your cost, you probably paid too much for it. Yeah, that's why slowly, yeah. you go slow and you win. All right, 
we have time for one last question today. It's uh, going to be from Chris. You said, Andy, so you are shifting from flipping to just holding to mitigate risk in the current environment. And are you stopping the fix and flipping business? So I flip still about four properties a year and it keeps getting smaller every year. We like it. You're getting smarter. I'm getting smarter, <laughs> 100%. And it takes a lot of time, right? Yeah. I'm a full-time dad, a full-time husband. I like love my life. Fixing and flipping takes a lot out of it. There's there's a lot of risk. There's not a lot of return. For me, I'd rather wholesale the deal than actually flip it. I'm going to take a nice chunk in the front, mm -hmm. no risk. I don't hammer a nail, and then I'm gone. I love the buy and hold model. I mean, I probably fell in love with it 10 years ago. We would flip houses to get cash to buy buildings. And that, in my opinion, is the only reason you should be flipping houses is to figure out a hold strategy long term. Because yep. that's how you actually get wealthy. Everybody that's flipping houses and driving around in their like, you know, Lamborghinis, what are you going to do when the market turns? There's no inventory. Yep. You just borrowed all this money that you're paying a crazy amount on. Mm -hmm. And now you got to give your Ferrari back. Now what? <laughs> but if you have buildings, your tenants will give you as many Lamborghinis and Ferraris as you want. Yeah. I always say, don't spend the equity, spend the cash flow. That's right. Cash flow is <laughs> everything. All right, guys. Is that it, Logan? Uh, yeah, there's a few more questions, guys. We appreciate everyone hopping on, and that's going to be time for the day. So if we didn't get to any questions, we'll make sure to get to them after this call. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Be safe, be well. And Andy, thank you so much. No Always problem, a pleasure. Brother. Absolutely. Thank you, guys.